Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today, we have the honor to sit down with pastor and church planner, Erica Henry. Erica is the pastor of the Holy District in Allentown, Pennsylvania. The Holy District seeks to inspire people across a spectrum of belief and non-belief to rediscover the sacredness of the spaces they inhabit. They see their cities, neighborhoods, and blocks as places where the reign of God is breaking in to bring healing and restoration to individuals, neighborhoods, and communities. You can check out more information about the Holy District at holydistrict.org. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us. Welcome to the podcast. This is Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee, and officially welcome to season five of the Forge America Missional Podcast. Uh, Today with me is Brenna Varner in Albany, Oregon. Brenna, it is so good to see you, and it's the first time I've actually seen you in a hat, and I don't even know how long. You know, I was putting on the hat, and I was like, you know what, this is going to throw them off. I'm wearing a hat in the podcast, (laughs) but this is what was in my heart today, Terry and Alan. What's, what's, what's frustrating is we we just did a cool, we had our national gathering a couple of weeks ago, and one of our cool swag bag items was a hat. And I was like, you know, being the feminist that I am, I'm like, dude, I don't want to get a hat. And then all the ladies be like, oh, this sucks. Great for the guys, but I don't. So I call Brenna and I'm like, hey, thinking about a hat, like, what is this like cool? Is this what? And she's like, no, I wear hats all the time. It'll be perfect. Let's do it. And you're not wearing the forge hat. You're I also, hat. as I put on the hat, I was like, ooh, I'm going to get called out. Yes. I just was feeling the red today. Sorry, I needed yeah. a little color in my life. Considering but. that Terry and I were on a meeting just five minutes ago with your husband, who was wearing the hat. Forge I mean, hat. That's right. he's better than I am. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Toe the well, brand. Toe the okay. brand. Let's go. And then also with us is Terry Ishii in Austin, Texas, not wearing a hat. No. Uh, that's all when right. you have it's hair like this, you don't wear a hat. Well, I don't have any hair, and I only wear a hat outside, Uh, but that's it. And not wearing a hat with us today is Erica Henry in Allentown, Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Erica? I'm doing well, and I considered wearing a hat, and now I'm regretting making the choice to to go with a ponytail instead. So, man, Brenna, sorry I'm hatless, not in solidarity with you. It's okay. Next time, sister. We'll we'll pull out the (laughs) ponytail. Sounds good. Awesome. Uh, that we're going to have a podcast perfect. about hats today, I think, is right. uh, where this yes. is going. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. So your favorite hat brand. No, we don't need to go there. But Erica, we're so excited to have you on here. Glad to have you. You are a pastor in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, we're going to kind of get into that in just a little bit, what the what your church looks like, kind of explaining it and all that. But we'd love to know a little bit more about you. So give us, give us the snapshot on Erica. Yeah. So my name is Erica Henry, and I live here in Allentown, Pennsylvania with my husband, Blake, and my two almost two-year-old son, Alexi. We moved here about three years ago to found the Holy District. I love our neighborhood. I love to read. I'm a second-time church planter. I've been in ministry as long as I've been married. My husband and I got married when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I turned 20 a week later. Um, and so, yeah, we've been growing up together. We've been doing ministry together, a lot of learning and unlearning. And we're just in this really exciting season of life and ministry where we felt God really inviting us into a more aligned and risky uh, place in our faith. And we said yes to that. And 
uh, I could tell you my husband and I look at each other almost every day and say, I can't believe that we get to do this. And I'm feeling the same way about being on the podcast uh, with you guys today. Just like, this is so fun to be hanging out with some like-minded folks and talking about the person who's at the center of it all and how he's sending us. Yeah. So uh, Erica, we met a couple, I guess, I guess it was last, I don't even remember. It's been a couple months, mm-hmm. maybe half a year. Maybe. Year. What is time? Yeah, I know it's, it's yeah. COVID just screwed everything up when it yeah. comes to time. But we have a, so we, we, we got connected through Forge, obviously, and kind of the common uh, the denominator between the two of us is our friend, John Pletcher. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Pletch is, uh, we yet we've not had Pletch on the podcast. We should probably figure that out. Season five, we should get him on. Well, let's, let's find out. Let's find out if he's actually listening. And so if he hears this, <laughs> there's right. your invitation to the podcast, right. John. There you yes. go. Email, email me, John, if you want to be on the podcast. If not, then we're good. So no harm, no, no, no harm, no foul. But uh, John uh, is uh, kind of in your denomination and he's kind of bringing forge and some of these things. To, to the planters there. And so I got to meet you at a kind of a retreat. And and we just, I mean, it feels like, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but it feels like we just hit it off like instantaneously. Totally. Just, yeah, just the way that we think when it comes to church planting, when it comes to even like funding models and thinking completely different about how the church ought to exist in the world and all of that. And so I'm curious, you know, as you think about your experience, and and I love you're a two-time church planter, right? Mm-hmm. So that means you're that you that means you're like certified crazy, right? Totally. And people yep. will do one church plant, <laughs> but if they come back for a second, then they're like, oh, they know what they're getting into. So sure. when when you think about church planting, and you think about, and I don't want to get like into a deep like model, uh, this model's better than that model, but when it comes to just church planting in general, an overall ethos and culture. Like, what are your thoughts and how has kind of your interaction with Forge and all that, like, how is that influencing that? How is that kind of shaping and helping you take Holy District really kind of to, to, to the fruition of the dream that God gave you when you started it, you know, back uh, a couple of years ago? Yeah. So let me just start here. It was interesting. There, there's so much synergy between how God wired me and how God wired the Forge tribe and so much so that last night I was praying and I was just meditating on some things and this this idea of this one size fits all mm. approach to ministry I was just kind of in my mind railing against that and I was reflecting on my earlier days in ministry whenever I was ministering in a more traditional conventional environment and I just always was bumping up into walls and I was well what if we tried this and what if we tried that and I got a lot of no's and then I got some yeses, but by the time the idea got through the machine, it wasn't really the idea anymore Mm. because there was kind of this worship of the franchise model for for churches. And I just had this deep intuition that no one person is the same. No one community is the same to to the next. And why, why is it that we think that we can program one hour of the week to be everything to every kind of person when like the mystery of our God is that we have this diverse unity. And so that idea of one size fits all just always has graded against me. And I woke up this morning and saw on the Forge America social media a quote from Michael Frost about (laughs) the one size fits all. And I'm like, okay, we're on the same, you know, wavelength here. So a little bit about my journey. Whenever I did my first church planting, my foray into church planting, I was totally naive, which I think you need to be if you're going to say yes to doing any kind of planting work. 
And, you know, we, we, this team that I was a part of, it just had this dream. Of course, like we understood what was wrong and we were going to, we were just going to change this and change that. And then everyone was going to want to come and be a part of what we were doing. Wow. I just really cut my teeth on that experience. I cut my teeth as a leader. I cut my teeth as a pastor. I cut my teeth as a young woman in ministry who was routinely disrespected and um, treated poorly in that context. Learned, learned quite a bit. And leaving that experience, I said, yeah, I'm not doing that again. Like, oh, my, it was so hard. Like, I just, I never want to underestimate, uh, like, how really difficult it is to do the work of church planting. And then I went into a more conventional environment and found out that it was harder. <laughs> it was harder for me to be in the confines of that whenever, not not because that model was bad, but but because the things that we said that we wanted, we weren't actually experiencing. We weren't seeing, in my opinion, true maturity happening. We weren't seeing people move from spiritual immaturity into like discipleship and following and sacrifice and forgiveness and like these radical things that we see Jesus calling us to. And so I'm a very pragmatic person when it comes down to it. And I just want to do something that works at the end of the day. What um, I, I came to through all of this bumping up, I just kept on saying, there's got to be another way to do this. I'm imagining two, three, four generations from now, and my great-great-grandkids are not going to attend this kind of a church. My great-great, you know, my friends aren't interested in this kind of a church my, you know, the next generation is not interested in this kind of a church. So uh, I want to be a part of building something that's going to make sense for the people who aren't even here yet. And that that's kind of what, you know, was really driving me. And because I was really hungry for what else, what else, what else, I actually had a really good friend um, and, and mentor who spent some time in Australia in his ministry. And he said, have you ever heard of Michael Frost? And at that point, I hadn't. I hadn't heard of the missional movement. I hadn't heard of anything about that. So I started looking that up, and I just fell down that rabbit hole, and I've not wanted to, to get out. And so during that whole time that I was doing this you know, really conventional ministry, I was over our discipleship and our life groups and our care programs, just feeling the lack, feeling the lack, feeling the lack. And then I'm reading Christiana Rice. I'm reading Michael Frost. I'm reading Alan Hirsch. I'm, you know, I'm looking at all these different ways that people are work, you know, forge and this, you know, larger tribe are experimenting. And I just, I just knew like I gotta do that. I gotta, I've gotta be a part of that. And so a lot of my missional imagination was formed kind of in that isolation where I was just reading and being nurtured by your crew and being nurtured by those minds and the the adventure and the risk and the and that idea that it's not it it doesn't always have to work on the first try but we've we've got to try something different and I was also discerning my call into lead pastoral ministry during that time which was a whole journey in and of itself as a young woman who grew up in a very religiously conservative um, non-affirming environment for women. And those things all came to a head whenever I knew it was time to move on from that current ministry assignment. And I knew that I needed, if I was going to stay on the journey with Jesus, I needed to be somewhere that looked more like what I believe the kingdom of heaven is going to look like, that had different shades of skin color, that had different languages, that had different socioeconomic levels, that was 
ready to be recreated. And I started asking God to send me somewhere like that. That ended up with me being sent to Allentown, Pennsylvania, joining the Brethren in Christ denomination. Uh, My first ministry enrichment day, Michael Frost was our guest speaker for the Atlantic Conference. And I mean, I just, I think, you know, the... (laughs) The signs are all there that, you know, this meeting was eventually supposed to happen. And so I've been, yeah, I've, I've been your your sister in arms for several years now, and now we're actually getting to know each other. I can't tell you how much that resonates with me, everything that you're, you're saying, um, but also how many people have that same story where God is already doing something in their heart and then they find Forge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such a common narrative, uh, even locally here as well. And it's, it's so wonderful to continue to hear that because, uh, it just shows that the spirit is on the move and is working and is moving people in this direction. And then we just get to be a part of it. It's, it's a tangible proof of that. Uh, so Erica, tell us what kind of things you've been doing with the Holy district. How has that formed? Where has, uh, your big dream and all of those things that converged, how has that, how's that come to be? Yeah. So when I knew that it was time to leave my last ministry assignment and I I felt God sending me into the next season, I had been so humbled in that process. I'd learned a lot about anti-racism. I had learned about immigration. I learned there were all these things that were really helping me to get a broader uh, sense of the human story and how Jesus intersects with that and becomes that. And I, I had gotten to a point where I no longer thought I really had the answers, but I was just really hoping that I could just follow as closely to Jesus as I possibly could and, you know, take it a step at a time. And so there was like a six-month time period where I was no longer in my last ministry assignment, was getting ready to move to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I really didn't know what I was supposed to do except for move there. And we were a pioneer parachute church plant, and you guys know this. Those, those of you who are listening mean, who may not know what that means, that means we didn't have any sending church. We didn't have any sister support church. We didn't have a team. We didn't know anyone here. And there were no BIC churches um, in our city. And so we were parachuting in. And this is like the least likely way to be successful in church planting. <laughs> but here we were feeling like this is what I was being called to do. And my husband, Blake, is like my biggest supporter. And he's like, let's go. And so there was a brief period of time where I was just praying and waiting and reading and listening and discerning. During that time period, I was looking back over my prayer journal and some things that I'd learned and a passage from Ezekiel 45 that I had to dissect during my seminary experience just kept on kind of coming to the forefront of my imagination. And in Ezekiel 45, Ezekiel is having this vision of Israel once it's fully restored. He's being shown around and he is shown this area called the Holy District or the Sacred District. Mm. And this is a district where everything, all the buildings, all the roads, all all the people who live there, those people are holy. Those people are set aside for God. And um, when I first read this in seminary, I was kind of annoyed. It made me kind of mad because then if you continue to read, like the further away from the temple you got, the the less holy that those spaces got. I'm like, that's stupid. You know, here I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, God, that's stupid. (laughs) And um, I had a really, you know, wonderful professor who 
you know, pushed back on me and, and made me sit with that passage for a while. And, you know, here at the center of the holy district is the temple and then the people who live there are, you know, taking care of the temple and they're holy and everything in that section is holy. I started to realize how earthy this vision was because I was handed a very abstract understanding of the end of the age. I was, I was given this perspective that we're going to go off somewhere, that heaven is somewhere else, that God wants us to be somewhere else. And my seminary education helped me to understand, oh, no, actually, God made earth and put us on earth because God wants us to be on earth and God wants to co-rule, you know, this creation with us and He's going to get us there. So I, I started to look at this passage a little more deeply and I saw, wow, where the temple is, where God's presence is, that place is holy by proximity. And now instead of being angry at this passage, I started to get inspired by this passage because mm-hmm. as a Jesus follower, I'm like, oh, wait, well, Jesus is the temple. Oh, wait, now Jesus lives in us. And now we collectively, as those who follow him, we are the temple. So that means wherever we root ourselves, wherever we put ourselves, that place becomes holy because mm-hmm. of God's healing holiness and God's proximity to us and through us. That that biblical imagination for me, that eschatological imagination for me really started to shape the kind of church that I, that I believe God wanted me to nurture and help to, to usher in. So what that, then that's kind of got me thinking, well, if there's not like a special place you got to be wherever the people of God carry God's healing holiness, that place becomes sacred and that place gets set apart to God. Then what does church even look like? What does that mean? And that became this really fun blank canvas for me and the Holy Spirit to start working on and start talking with people that I trust. And we came down to a very simple model. And that was the only thing that I knew for sure heading into Allentown was that whatever it looked like, it had to be contextualized based on our neighborhood. It had whatever we ended up doing, the final shape really had to wait until we got to know our neighbors and we got to know our community and we got to know the resources and what Jesus was already up to in Allentown, that had to wait. But there was kind of a three-piece process that God showed me. And the first piece was that our gatherings were to be dialogue-centered, not pastor-centered, not sermon-centered, not even Bible-centered, but dialogue-centered to begin with this disposition that Everyone we meet bears the image of God. They have something to contribute. They are sacred to God. And so how do we reserve this space for that human-to-human connection and make it less about uh, teaching content and make it more about life on life? And so dialogue-centered gathering, that's step one. Uh, Piece two is our podcast. And so it's not that we don't care about teaching at the Holy District. We just are trying to find a, a different place for it to live than being the one thing that people gather around once a week. Because people can listen to teaching anytime they want. You are listening to this podcast right now. Maybe you're walking your dog or taking a shower or, you know, driving to, to or from work. So you can do, you can hear teaching and get teaching whenever you want and whenever you're ready for it. You can't have community on demand. And so we thought, let's prioritize community, you know, uh, in our gatherings, and then let's offer Jesus-centered teaching um, that people can listen to when it's convenient to them. And the idea with a podcast is just trying to use technology that's accessible to a lot of people and say, let's listen in our dialogue-centered gatherings and then respond to what we're hearing in our community with a Jesus-centered perspective on our podcast. 
So rather than trying to drive the spiritual maturation of our community by what we think they need to know, we're trying to listen to the concerns and the interests of our community and then respond with a Jesus-centered take on it. And then the third piece is relationship-centered spiritual direction or discipleship. And so this is just saying we don't, we are not discipled by the information that we know or that we hear, but we're actually discipled by going with each other into life and learning how to be more like Jesus together. And so that has to be really relational and that has to be really intentional. And so we knew those were the three pieces. And our hope was that that first gathering would be as broad as possible, that people on a spectrum of non-belief to belief would feel welcome. And then as people were spiritually curious, they could opt in to deeper and deeper levels of commitment, either by listening to the podcast or by reaching out for spiritual direction. And so that's the base of our model. And we've been throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks since we moved here in May and had lots of really embarrassing disasters and lots of really fun (laughs) things that have emerged as well. Um, And so, yeah, I'd be happy to share about uh, whatever you guys might want to dig into with that. Yeah. So two, two quick things on that. Uh, One, um, if you're listening to this podcast in the shower, I have serious questions and concerns for you. Um, (laughs) Oh, I do that every day, Alan, every day. Really? Yeah. Okay. mm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have any judgment there. I just don't (laughs) want my voice in, in somebody, what, in their shower time. That's like, that's like sacred time for me. That's my alone time. Uh, Then two, man, I need you to plant a holy district here in Knoxville because that everything you just said, man, I like, I'm, I'm ready to cry. That whole teaching-centric, pastor-centric, come listen to me, egocentric, really, type of church. Man, uh, everything you just said, it makes so much sense. And uh, it is so good. And it, I'd love to hear, like, how has it been received in your community? Like, what's what's been the response for such a drastic shift in how you're doing church? It's been really fun. Whenever we first moved here, I just started jumping in and engaging with our community engagement opportunities. Um, because my goal wasn't to get a crew together and find, you know, assemble a worship band and rock it out and launch in some something in a school or something like that. I I wanted to start developing this network um, that would help me to understand our community. And so people would ask, well, why did you move here? Because, you know, you may or may not know this, but Allentown isn't necessarily like a destination city. Um, <laughs> we've got some things that we're working on, overcoming. We've got some serious challenges that really affect the quality of life for um, us and for our neighbors. And a lot of people who live here don't see the beauty um, here. And so to meet me, you know, we moved here. Why are you here? And then I start to try to explain this really weird thing that I'm doing. Church people never get it. And that's okay. Cause <laughs> I'm not trying to get church people to come hang out with me. Like yes, amen. If, if you're, if you are receiving what you need from the current church structure, then keep going, baby. Like I'm so happy for you, but we know statistically that the majority of people are not yeah. receiving what they need when it comes to their spiritual vitality. And so, so for a while it was just, you know, a bunch of blank stares and like, you know, pats on the head and like, <laughs> good luck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, which is fine. That's kind of fuels me uh, in a little, and it was actually affirming in some ways. Cause I thought, well, if you don't get this, that this probably means I'm on the right track. Cause if this sounds really appealing to you, then I'm not gearing this in the right direction. God did a series of really uh, interesting things. We met some people of peace in our neighborhood. A space opened up for us that was subsidized by a generous donor. And once we had a place, then we could start experimenting with some things in the neighborhood. 
I know at Forge, you guys talk about like the, the posture of helplessness and that has been really key in our incarnational ministry because we were trying a lot of stuff. We already were kind of learned in asset-based community development. So we didn't come in with a charity mindset, but we still were trying, grasping at straws to try to figure out how do we leverage the space that God gave us for the neighborhood. It came down to, we had been invited to some barbecues and block parties by some friends in the neighborhood And it hit me one day, like, we need to ask them for help. Like, they know how to do this. They know these folks. So we went to them, Mike and Aracelis um, are their names. And we said, hey, we want to host a community meal in this space every month, but we can't do it on our own. And you are so great at this. Will you help? Will you help our church do this? And they said, yes. And so we planned the first one. They wouldn't let us bring anything. They wouldn't let us give them any money. They showed up with all the food and about 40 people from the block. Wow. Yeah. And the we just we just jumped in, man. We, like our little team just started meeting people. We had met some of them at the prior barbecues, but they spoke Spanish. And we're, we're trying to, you know, overcome a lot of barriers in our neighborhood. People thought that my husband and I were like undercover police whenever we moved <laughs> to the neighborhood. <laughs> they only talked to us because we had an awesome, big, fluffy dog that they wanted to pet. And so we had a lot of like biases to overcome um, in in ourselves and then also that people had toward us, understandably. And so we got, we had now the folks in our place that was just prayer soaked and ready to receive them. And we just said, hey, we're going to be here next week at the same time with coffee. And if you just want to come back and hang out, coffee's free. Just you have to have a conversation with somebody. That's the only requirement to come be in this space. And so about 20 or 25 people came back the next week. And those 20 or 25 people have kept coming every week since, and that was September of last year. Those people would say, why are you doing this? And then I would get to do the whole proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God bit where I say, well, you know, we follow Jesus. We know Jesus loves this neighborhood and we want to spend time with you. And um, so we're opening up the space so we can spend time together. So then they're like, oh, what do you, what do you mean? And, and soon it was like, well, well, you're a pastor, you're a preacher. What, what, this doesn't look like church. And so we're, we're already having all these spiritual conversations about what is a church and what's a pastor? What does a pastor do? And I just kind of have this mindset that I, I am a pastor and you don't have to be a member of my congregation for me to be your pastor. Mm, If you're in proximity to me, then guess what? You have a pastor now. Mm -hmm. And if you find yourself in need of pastoral or spiritual care, you have someone that you can talk to. And that's the disposition of our team as well. And so as these folks just kept coming back week after week, as need came up, you know, you lose a loved one. Um, you're, it's hard to pay the electric bill. Your family's in town. You want them to meet your friends. Uh, we just had these opportunities to just keep on connecting with folks. And so our, our dialogue-centered gathering in Allentown right now looks like coffee and cookies and crackers that everyone brings and getting out Uno for the kids to play and hanging out in our space um, in downtown or Center City, Allentown, and then just being ready um, whenever people say, hey, this is what's going on. We pray for me. Because what we've found is that the folks in our community may be de-churched or unchurched, but they believe in God. Mm -hmm. Um, They believe in God more than most Christians I've met, Mm -hmm. more than most church people I've met. They are um, faith-filled people, but they have not, there has not been space for them. 
Yeah, and it's uh, I love that story. Every time I hear you tell that story, I just it makes gets me so I just it's amazing. I love it. That's how church planting should be. I really, really, really have that conviction. Uh, and so thank you. That's Honestly, that's why I wanted you on the podcast. I was like, just, just tell the story. Just tell the story of how it got started. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but uh, I love I love the, the, the strategy that you guys implement um, in, in how you exist as a church model. Now, if people who listen to the podcast, they know one of my soapbox things is I, I harp on community because I think one community gets boring really, really fast. Uh, I think community is kind of like the the one thing that people they 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 talk a lot about, but they I, th- I find they invest very little in it. It's like oh, we're all about community, but they just like oh, we'll throw some crackers on the table and we'll make that happen. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear how are you guys keeping community from getting boring. I mean, mm. it's not just Uno for the kids, crackers for the adults, maybe some coffee or tea. But like, how are how? What is it that you guys are really pushing in deeper? That's making those those twenty five thirty people they're coming back because they see this now as well. This is how I want to. This is this is part of my week. This is how I live life. This is this is this is life giving to me. How how are you guys doing that? Because I know if you just start holding a meeting and opening the doors, it, it's going to dwindle if mm-hmm. it's just kind of hanging out, just community for community's sake. Yeah. So one of one of the things that we found was let me let me kind of give the other side of that, Terry. When we first started experimenting with this before we came to our helplessness idea, we were like, we don't want community to be boring. There's there's two layers of community that are at work here. There's the community networking that we're doing. We have a very simple church model. We don't have any programs. We don't need volunteers to really do anything. And so our goal is as people come into our um, dialogue-centered gatherings and connect, and then they take deeper steps toward and into the kingdom of God, we wouldn't say, oh, great, now we need you to volunteer to run our children's program. We say, oh, we are friends with the people who run the food bank, and they need volunteers on Thursday. So could you, you care about food insecurity? Let me introduce you to Evelyn so that you can volunteer there. So there's that level of community where a big part of my work I see as a planter and founder of the Holy District is to actually spend a lot of my time in the literal community, in the neighborhood, getting to know the people who are grassroots leaders on the ground working for our neighborhood. So that's one thing that keeps it interesting because... So you're not sitting in a coffee shop just uh, on your laptop writing sermons? No, I never write sermons. Um, Because I see a lot of church planters doing that. No, (laughs) yeah. They're not in the community. They're in a coffee shop. Right. No, I mean, I'm volunteering. I spent the first two years of my planting volunteering with other churches and with nonprofits in our neighborhood to get to know those those spaces and what they were up to. And so that was part of our strategy. And and the idea is that the Holy District—I would love to see Holy District residents populating every single nonprofit that's doing anything worthwhile. Like— That would be, I think, one measure of success for the maturity of our folks that have come to be a part of the, the Holy District community. So there's that piece. And that that gives opportunity to invite people to come hang out with us in our community because we're there's this very natural flow. Now, um, the, the piece that I, we started working on was like, we won't, don't want this to be boring for the people who come and hang out with us. And I think there was some residue from like my previous ministry experience where I thought it's kind of performative and we've got to keep people wanting to come back. And so we were planning like family days and trips and trying to do all this stuff. 
But the way that our model works is we have neighborhood pastors, which are volunteers. And the idea is that people in the neighborhood are the the, the most empowered because they're closest to the folks that are in the community. So this is a volunteer position. And our neighborhood pastor was not able to do all of the planning. It wasn't life-giving to him to be planning this day, planning that day. Let's do this. Let's do that. And actually, it didn't seem like people were really responding to that very well. And so we scaled it back. We asked for help on the community meal and said, what if once a month we do a community meal? And then the three other weeks we have coffee and hang out and conversation. We need a couple of those weeks to plan the community meal every month. And so, um, and then we'll just kind of see where it takes us. And so that's what we started doing. And so all of this is experimental. I I guess I just want to very much harp on that. We didn't know what we needed to do until we started trying what we thought we might work. And so what we have found is the thing that keeps people coming back is we're actually there and we care about them. We have a closed worship community. So we have a liturgy and a worshiping experience that we don't invite anybody to. This is basically people who have already decided to follow Jesus. And it started with just the three of us who were the planting team that kind of built after I was here for a year. We don't invite anyone to this until they've made a decision to follow Jesus. And so this team of people, we have a very basic liturgy, and it ends every single Sunday by talking about our sentness. And we support one another in that, and then we open the doors, and in comes the neighborhood for our community wow. gathering. So good. And this group of people, we we are the pastors of this neighborhood and the people who come in. And so say we have 20 or 25 people coming in. We've got three to five people ready to receive them. And we're asking, how are your kids? How did that test go? You know, how's Daquan? What's what's going on with, how, how was your surgery? People, you know, our friend Carlos, his, his dad passed away. So some of the ladies said, let's get a card together and let's take up a collection for him. And so really what we're trying to do is nurture this culture of care. And listen, people don't need to be entertained when they know that you care about them. Yeah. We can get entertainment from Netflix. We can get entertainment from go to the movies. We can do whatever. We can, we are constantly being entertained. Everyone's vying to entertain us. But who's vying to care? Who's yeah. vying mm-hmm. to remember what was going on in our lives and to follow up and to, <clears throat> to help? And yeah. what we're finding is the folks that are a part of our community, they tell us, this is my favorite day of the week. Ah, and awesome. they... They don't like going to church, but they like coming to the Holy District because, and, and I say, why? And they're like, we're, we're like a family here. We actually, you guys actually care. And one, our friend Steve is like, it's like you guys never have a bad day. And it's not that we never have a bad day. It's just that we are on mission. When those doors open, our bad day isn't the most important thing right now. We just cared for each other in our worship community. And now it's time to pass that care on. And Man, when people know that they're really cared for and they're listened to, I mean, haven't you experienced that? You know, so like yeah. you come, I, I've, I remember an experience where I went into a meeting expecting one thing, and I left because the person just asked, kept asking me questions, and then they were listening and they weren't talking about themselves and they weren't comparing themselves yeah. to me, and they weren't giving me advice. They just were curious about me, and they wanted to pray for me. And I left and I was like, what is, yeah. what just happened? Yeah. Almost yeah. a little embarrassed, feeling really vulnerable, but also like that never happens to me. And I think that's what people experience. People ask me, what do people think they're coming to when they come into the Holy District? And I say, heck if I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but they keep coming. So yeah. 
Oh, I love that. I love that. I mean, Erica, you are, I mean, I've got a lot of favorite church planters, but you, you, you are steadily rising to the top <laughs> simply. And it really, just because the way that you're doing it, like you, you defy all the things. Like every time I meet with a church planter, they come, it's like, I got this idea. And then I'm rarely a cynical person, but when it comes to church planting, just because I've been in it for 25 plus years and I've seen it all, I've seen the megas, I've seen the, the, the hyper micro and all of it. And it's just one of those things people come in and I'm always like, well, what about this? What about this? And it's like every time I try to get at you with like one of these, okay, what about that? It's like you're just always like just intentional, like you've, you've, you've thought it through. And, mm. and and it's just one of those things where it's it, it doesn't even as you're talking about it, it's like, gosh, people, this isn't this isn't rocket science. It's just like it's literally loving people well. Yes. But but we we often in church planting, we see people as like, oh, yeah, we need it. We need to have a community element. And so we just kind of do a small group and, and it's, it, it's exactly what you just said. It's getting in a room and then everyone just talks about themselves. And when they get their shot, they get an opportunity. I can talk about myself. And so now, uh, but this idea of just truly loving people where they are, receiving them, sharing life, right? And, and again, you talked about this idea of helplessness and we, we, this idea of powerlessness that we always, we, Jesus had this, it wasn't just humility. It was powerlessness. It is this idea that, no, 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 you can help me. You can help me. And that's huge. That's a huge uh, difference. I feel like Erica is just handing out permission slips <laughs> as we're talking. Like she's just writing them. Like the permission slips that I'm hearing right now, like the fact that you took teaching out of the community, like, no, we don't have to teach from my Baptist, like, background is like, wait, what? And there's so much freedom in that. Like the, the teaching doesn't have to be central. It is a piece, but it doesn't have to be central. That's a huge permission slip right there. And then the permission slip you just wrote when you said that we don't need to entertain, we need to care to, to, to get rid of the entertainment piece, uh, that compulsion that we feel to entertain people. Man, she's just handing out the permission slips. Erica, where do you get this uh, power of permission that you embody? Oh, goodness. A couple things come from that. You know, I think the fact that I'm a woman in ministry and the uh, difficulty that I've experienced because of that in the kingdom economy is my power. Mm. Because I think that we find, and what if we take what Jesus says seriously in the Sermon on the Mount and in, and what he demonstrates in his ministry is that the the least are the greatest. The people who are least regarded are the ones who have the best vantage point for mm. what the kingdom of God is up to. And interestingly enough, every time I've been sidelined in ministry, every time I've not been given authority by role, every time that I've been uh, people have attempted to silence me was an opportunity for me to just follow Jesus. Mm. I didn't have the opportunity to make people listen to me just because they assumed that they should. I didn't have the opportunity to get people to. So I, the, the normal ways didn't work for me and I had to follow Jesus. So I had to find other ways. And I've gotten my permission from, from God because mm. my, from the time that I came to follow Jesus, I was told no mm. from people. I was told no by God's people. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to be told no by God. And God told me yes. And so I've gotta I've gotta do it. And it really doesn't matter how hard. And you know, it's interesting because Brenna, I my mentor, the person who kind of mentored me into my early leadership was an educator, an awesome educator, super sharp. She's my mother-in-law now. 
one of the best teachers that I know, highly educated. She understands how to help people understand something in a transformational way. And one thing any educator who knows is, is worth their salt will tell you is that lecture is the least effective education tool. Yep. Yep. And so I am someone who is very passionate about education. I'm someone who I believe was gifted to teach and preach, who really actually wants people to learn in such a way mm-hmm. that their lives are transformed. So I actually feel compelled that I have to kind of ditch the lecture thing if I really do want my community to thrive and to grow. What, how did God wire our brains to work? The highest way, that the most effective level of communication is one-to-one, small group, and, and modeling and practice. Practice is where we learn. And what is our whole conventional, traditional church modeled around right now? Sitting and listening. We don't retain that information. People, I don't know. Have you guys preached sermons and then people afterward tell you how the great it was? The preacher is learning the best. The preacher, the preacher is getting the best is learning. Exactly. <laughs> people come to me and say, I loved it when you said blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I didn't say that. Yeah. And um, and they they heard what they needed to hear yeah. or, and that's fine. But I think we're really fooling ourselves to think that the most effective way to disciple our congregation is through a sermon or through a lecture style you know, teaching strategy. And so that's where I get permission. It doesn't work. Mm. So what, you know, what good is it to do something that actually isn't effective? We can, we can make some pivots, flip the classroom and empower our folks. Yeah. One of our team members uh, here at Forge America, uh, Drew Thurman, we were, we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about that very thing. And <clears throat> Drew has a very similar story um, to, to yours where, you know, it, yeah, oddly enough, mega church in Arizona. And so, uh, so, but he, he's kind of done that. And, and, uh, you know, he's a fairly gifted teacher. I mean, I've, I've seen him in kind of in his element on a platform and he's a solid guy to listen to for 45 minutes. It's enjoyable. Um, but at Renaissance communities in Boston, it's one of the things that they've kind of like, we're not going to do that. And, and it, it is that there, it's that thing where you have to forsake something that you may be really, really good at, really, really gifted at, and, and maybe even enjoy, but it's, it's to the, it's the sacrifice knowing that what's, what's best for this community. And, you know, I'm more and more convinced that, you know, 30, 35 and under like, yeah, they're not interested in listening to someone go on and on for 45 minutes on chapter and verse. And so they're, they're much more sit down with some cracker. I'm going to just keep riding the cracker thing. Crackers, uh, man. The, the crackers and <laughs> maybe grape juice. I don't know. So, but some crackers and <laughs> some coffee and whatever. And, but just like having that conversation and it's like sharing life, pouring into one another. Uh, I, I, I really do think that is that, that, that is going to be the way forward uh, for the church. And, and I love, I just even love the, 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 the use of technology. And it's like, yeah, we're going to do some teaching. And I, I subscribe to the Holy District podcast. And and so you can you can go in and listen. And it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, listen to the podcast. There's going to be good teaching there. And then that can fuel conversation later, which is yep. so much better because how many times do we, like there, I know there are a lot of churches that maybe someone listening, they're probably not listening, but there are people out there who are like, Oh yeah, man, we preach for like 50 minutes on a Sunday. And then our small groups are sermon based, man. We're definitely talking about the sermon. It's like, no, bro, I've been in those sermon based small groups. It's like, we're like 
eating crackers for like 50 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes is like, oh yeah, I guess we should ask one of these questions that's from this <laughs> list that someone wrote. And then it's like, yeah, I gotta go pick the kids up from practice. And then it's over. And it's like, yeah, that 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 was just a waste. And that's where I find community to be really boring to the point where it's like, if I had a rough day, I'm not even interested in being a part of that. Mm-hmm. So I love that you guys are, you're kind of moving there and going in that direction. Cause I think it's key, it's huge. So, uh, Erica, uh, you, you, I'd love to hear more because you you talked about just your experience as being a female pastor. And I think there's there's two levels to this. And this is something that I find myself becoming more and more from a from a calling and conviction standpoint obsessed with that being a pastor as a female is is tough. It is really, really tough. Um, but I think there's even a further hardship and that's being an apostolic Mm. female pastor because it's one thing to be a pastor on a team and trying to fight for a voice uh, on the platform and and that's a struggle and and that's a shame and it breaks my heart when I see it sure but it's another thing to stand up and say no 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 I am I'm going to be the one that's going to make this happen I'm going to start something and, and I think there are so many apostolic ladies out there who have that in them, but I find it often maybe lying dormant. You know, one hypothetical is, you know, someone's looking for a, a, a job as a pastor, as a female, and they go from place to place to place and maybe even applying for the senior pastor position mm-hmm. and everyone saying, nope, nope, not here. Can't sit here. Um, I was going to do that in Forrest Gump voice, but I didn't. But, but Good choice. Just, yeah, get, just get it rejected, get it rejected. And then it's just like you get to the point where some people either just quit or they find that apostolic fire inside of them and say, you know what? If no one's going to give me a seat, I'm going to create one. And I love that you have done that with the Holy District, that it is one of those things that you coming out of your experience and being able to say, you know what? I'm going to create a space. But what I love about it is that it's it's an example for other ladies. It's for other women that we can point to and say, you can do this too. Um, because I believe there are so many female apostolic leaders out there who just need some sort of kickstart, jumpstart, an example. They need to see a way forward. And I love that you have provided that. And the Holy District is that. And so one, speak to that, speak to being an apostolic leader, not just a female leader, but a female apostolic leader. And then like, what's your hope for others who may be feeling this, like I could start something, but I don't know how. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to correct you on something, Terry. Yes. I don't think the situation is that either they quit or they make their own way. Yeah, yeah. I think our, our women apostolic leaders, if, if they do not have an opportunity to give their gifts to the church. They give their gifts to the world mm. outside of the church. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Ab- mm-hmm. Apostolic women are not going to quit. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's actually not going to happen. So really the, the choice for the church is, are we actually going to allow and make room for our apostolic women to give their gifts to the church, to give the, their gifts to the world through the church? Or are we going to allow them to leave and take their gifts with them 
and and use the best of what they have to start a nonprofit yeah. that's you know not related to the church to to lead people in a way that isn't as easily identified with the spiritual um, and with with their faith, and that's really what's at stake. I mean. Yeah. I'm speaking as an apostolic woman, no one's going to stop me from doing what I'm supposed to do. And I'm supposed to lead a church. So that's why I created one. But there are women who have gifts that really could be so beautifully put to work inside our churches and through our churches. And our churches are turning them away. And it's just stupid is is. is what it is. It's just ridiculous. So, so as an apostolic woman, I do think, and this goes back to Brenna earlier, permission, I think, is a big thing mm-hmm. I've discovered. You shouldn't have to be annoyingly aggressive like me in order to have your place at the table in the kingdom of God. And um, there are apostolic women of all different kinds of personalities who are more quiet or more bold or more passionate or more, you know, we're, we're all different kinds of people. And, you know, my dream is that the church would start looking for these women and um, finding ways to empower empower us. And I think there's some really practical things we can do. You know, when I think about the Holy District as an organization, one of my big prayers is that we would be an organization that a single mom could be a pastor and and thrive. Mm. So that has to do with childcare, that has to do with healthcare, that has to do with benefits, that has to do with wages. This is like a really economic thing. But what we know by the research is that when women flourish, all of their communities flourish. Like the tide, women just bring the tide. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I guess this is a plea for you apostolic women that if you had the door shut in your face by the church— and so you put your efforts towards something meaningful outside the church. I I hope that you would be open to the imagination from the Spirit that those two things um, don't have to be separate. Yeah. And that is what the Holy District is really trying to model. Our our vision is to rediscover the sacred in everyday spaces. And so I see nonprofit leaders as pastors of the people that they serve. That's right. You know, and so there are lots of ways to think about how God has taken your journey. Women, we tend to have nonlinear leadership development journeys because the men in power don't tap us on the shoulder and walk us through the processes and the open doors that that young men get walked through. And so what we do is we work and we go to school. We take care of kids and we work. We serve and we volunteer and we work and we take care of kids. And while we're doing that, we're getting our associates. And then while and then we we don't get promoted on potential. We get promoted on what we've already demonstrated that we can do. And and we have to move here because this place won't hire us. And so we have eight eight different places on our resume instead of two. And yeah. this is what it means to be a, a woman with apostolic gifts because you're going to keep on pushing forward. And so I think mm-hmm. the men in the church who are passionate about this have to shift the thinking to say, you know, they've, they've, they've given up or, you know, they're not going to do it to say, okay, they're already leading this amazing nonprofit or they're a, they're a teacher. And what does it look like for a teacher to also be empowered as a pastor? Or what does it look like? And I, and I think we got to start making our models make sense for women because women are doing really incredible, amazing things that are the kingdom. Yeah. and are bringing the kingdom and um, ushering in the kingdom, but it just doesn't get called church. Yeah. And that's just terminology, man. Yeah. That's stuff that we can we can change how we talk, and that will begin to change how we think. 
Yeah, that's good. You know, and, and again, it's it's going back to that idea. And, you know, and, and my original thought was, you know, because I, I, it, it, I when I was referring to the quit thing is, you know, in my mind, I'm I'm, I'm saying that they quit the church because when oh. I look when I look at Austin, the strongest apostolic women in our city, they all quit the church mm. and they all lead nonprofits. And they're all some of the best and strongest nonprofits in the city. Yep. And as a pastor and a church planter who like, and I'm an E, I'm, a, I'm an evangelist and I'm an includer on my strength finders. So I'm always trying to connect people. And I'm like talking to these amazing leaders and they're like, yeah, we're done with the church. Yeah, They love Jesus and they may even attend church, but they're done with the idea that the structure and organization of a church to even try to to find their way there, it's like they've quit on that. They're like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do my thing here because, and it's really it's the business world as well as the nonprofit world is like, you know, their investment is received there, right? Like, and and you know, if, I don't know if it's gonna take us another twenty to twenty five years. It always feels like the church is twenty five to thirty years behind, but like, what a shame, what a shame because I know some ladies who would just crush it as pastors in this city. And the church would be far better because of it. But they're leading these other nonprofits. And the city's getting the benefit, which is awesome, which is beautiful. And God is using that. But, yeah, no, that's that's super insightful and helpful. And, you know, and again, I think that's something that Forge, we, we were trying to champion that cause. Because you use the word stupid. It is stupid. It's just flat out stupid to sideline 50% of your, of your potential because of a different chromosome and different genitalia. It's just, it's just, it makes no sense. It is crazy. Frosty's already ruined our, our, <laughs> our clean uh, label with uh, iTunes, with so we're good. Yeah, so Terry, I don't think okay. saying genitalia is a bad, a bad word. You're okay. Or maybe it was stupid. It was stupid the oh, bad word? Oh, maybe. stupid. Yeah, don't, oh. don't say stupid in this house. Um, <laughs> no, that's helpful. Well, so one of the things, uh, Erica, that I'm excited that we're going to collaborate on, and really I'm just going to, I'm just going to support you and, and, you know, be your helper, but we're going to launch a cohort. Uh, Forge America is going to launch a cohort and it is designed specifically for female leaders who have an apostolic bent. And, it, and, and I'm almost tempted just to say it's for female leaders because I don't want anyone to say, well, I'm not apostolic or I don't have a apostolic leanings. And it's like, well, you, you, you may use, you, you haven't had permission to feel those feelings. It's like sure. anytime a, a female gets, uh, when I, I love Enneagram. So anytime someone comes and they get a two on the Enneagram as a female, my initial thought is, Hey, let's dig a little deeper. Let's right. dig a little deeper because there's probably a good chance you, you think you're a two because culture around you has made you the only option to be a two. Right. And I think that's true of the apostolic. So speak a little bit about the cohort. What are, what kind of, what are your hopes and dreams? And, you know, what, if someone listening knows of a, a, a of a female leader or, or is a female leader themselves that might be interested, what could, what could be in store for them? Yeah. I mean, Terry, what you and I have talked about so far is how can we get a group of women together who can, you know, really put some good thinking and good work into what it looks like to move the ball forward for Forge America um, and the goals for Forge to have uh, elevated and empowered women to the degree that that shows at every single level of leadership. You know, I think what's, you know, really exciting for me, you talking about the women that have said no to the church and now they're, they're moving on. 
I think up until this point, the idea, and I think this happens with other marginalized people where we say, what do we have to do to get you back to the thing that we're still, that we're doing that hasn't yeah. changed at all? That's right. And, and instead what I'm excited about is to say, what do we need to change in the way that we think in our culture and our systems so that people like you are empowered and obstacles are removed and you can do, you can just obey God and you can yeah. just do what Jesus is, is inviting you to do. And I think we're going to need some really diverse and interesting perspectives. We're going to need people who aren't comfortable in church as usual because we need to make something that is not church as usual. And also, I just love hanging out with, with other women who are going to get stuff done, break down walls and and burst glass ceilings and stained glass ceilings or whatever need be. Let's Let's knock it down. Let's build a road so that every kind of woman can come behind us. Well, Erica, thank you so much. Uh, I love that. I'm excited to, to launch this cohort. We're not going to say a date right now because we don't have a date, but it's going to be sometime in the fall. We're at least going to hold ourselves to that. So uh, be listening to Forge America, our socials and all that things, and, and we'll we'll get information about that. But I'm super, super excited to take this head on and be proactive. I think that's the, that's the, that's the thing is let's be really proactive and uh, I love that you are a part of our tribe. I love that you are engaging. And man, I love your story. And we're so excited to be able to share it and platform it. Uh, if people want to get connected to you, I know we're, that we shared your uh, information on the front end, but what's the best way for them to kind of connect with you? Oh, man, I'm terrible at social media stuff. But yeah. um, at Erica Jane Henry is my handle on Facebook and Instagram, I think. Um, our Holy District socials on Facebook and Instagram is at Rediscover Sacred. And so people can connect with me on there. I really do like talking to people. I just don't like social media that much. So I would yeah. I would love to talk to anyone and um, yeah, keep the conversation going. Yeah. So Erica J. Henry and it's Erica E-R-I-C-K-A. Jane. E-R-I-C-K-A. J-A-N-E. That's my oh, middle name. Jane. Jane Henry. Yeah. Henry. Oh, I thought just the J. So Jane. All right. Henry. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I could be wrong. I really could be wrong about that. Alan, I'll, I'll send you whatever is correct for the yeah. show notes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we can't wait to have you back. And uh, I know that God is already doing some amazing things. We all, we have to bring you back because we didn't even get into the funding side of what yes. you guys are doing in Holy District, yep. which is like, that is my, that, that makes my heart pattern. Uh, I love what you guys are thinking and doing. Uh, it's so stinking smart. So we'll just leave that as a cliffhanger for everyone's like, what the heck are they talking about? Sounds good. Uh, and we'll bring you back and we'll talk about uh, funding uh, strategies for church planting. So Erica, thank you so much. We love you. Uh, we're excited that uh, you joined us today. Appreciate Thanks for it. having me. It was a blast, guys. Thanks. Right. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America cultivates practitioners who join in the mission of God. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.